TrueView for Action ads helped boost YouTube's revenue 50% in Q1. Are its 120 million connected TV viewers ready for the format? Scripps thinks Antenna TV use is booming, but the data suggests otherwise. Listen on to find out more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream, our weekly podcast. That was Colin Dixon at the top. I'm Will Richmond from Video News. Hey, Colin, how's everything? It's going very well, Will. Um, how about you? Uh, things are going well, and we want to get uh, right into our podcast today. Before we do that, we just want to say thanks to our podcast sponsor, Verizon Media. More than 10,000 of the world's largest media companies trust Verizon Media. To truly connect with viewers, learn why at vz.media slash Verizon Stream 21. So thanks to Verizon. And Colin, let's go ahead and get started. We uh, have our new feature in Inside the Stream where we wrap up a few quick news items that have caught our attention over the past week before we get into our main stories. So you're going to get us started with what caught your attention. Uh, I am, but uh, just before we get that, I just want to remind everybody that uh, they they need to. Uh, some of you are still downloading from my site and Will's site. Uh, you need to move to the Inside the Stream podcast link in your podcast manager. So, because we are, we probably will stop posting in our usual spots uh, in May, and we're coming up on that right away. So please remember to add Inside the Stream to your podcast manager. We don't want to lose you. Definitely don't want to lose you. And I guess um, one of the stories that I think people should check out is Discovery Plus. This has apparently been a pretty pretty big success. They just announced numbers, and apparently in the earnings call, they gave quite a lot of detail, Will, in what's going on. So I'll give a couple of the metrics that they give. They say they're up to 13 million subscribers now. And a couple of things that really kind of blew me away. They said that the subscribers are watching three hours of discovery content daily. That's kind of mind-blowing, bearing in mind that the average person is watching just over four hours of TV. So that was the first thing. And the second thing was average revenue per unit is $10. And bearing in mind that the two subscription rates are $5 with with ads and $7 without ads, well, that seems to be that everybody's signing up with ads and watching a lot, apparently, which I guess is what their numbers are saying. So definitely check out that earnings data for Discovery+. Plus. Yeah, I thought that was really intriguing. I want to learn more about how they're getting the ARPU up over $10 a month. That does seem to imply that the ad ads per user is stronger than was expected. It certainly does, Will. So uh, anyway, that's that's the first story we think you should check out. Well, speaking of ads, another story worth taking a look at this week is that um, CNBC reported that HBO Max's ad-supported tier, which is going to launch in June, is going to be priced at $10 per month. So that would be $5 less than the ad-free tier has been currently uh, available at. So that sort of ties back to the discovery numbers. Can HBO replicate discovery success and get potentially more than $5 per month in ad revenue per user. Uh, I thought there were a number of other questions that are yet to be answered. I I wrote about this week 
related to the HBO Max ad-supported tier, um, mainly in terms of how the content is going to work. So the ads are supposedly not going to show up against HBO original series, but that's where all the library content is. There are only a, a very small number of Max originals at this point. So I don't know how much inventory usage they can drive out of just the Max viewership. Um, but those are just some of the questions that I raised in this week's post. And I'm certainly looking forward to hearing more from HBO and Warner Media in the next month or so. Yeah, yeah, that $5 discount doesn't sound like, uh, I don't know, we'd have to see what content is available. But to me, it didn't sound like it was enough. Uh, but I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? Um, and the other story, again, you know, th this is another story about uh, an SVOD service. Well, actually, this isn't the SVOD part, I guess, and that's Peacock. Uh, Comcast, we're recording here on Thursday morning. Comcast gave their earnings this morning. And uh, the standout there was Peacock continues to grab a large number of signups. They say they're up to 42 million signups now. Uh, that's up from 33 million at the end of last uh, last quarter. And the interesting thing here is they pointed two things that they said that they thought were driving. And that was, of course, the migration of WWE into inside Peacock and the office. They say the office is still creating great dividends for them there. They did not give any detail whatsoever on the number of people that are actually paying. Uh, but, uh, you know, it certainly seems to be doing well as a free service, that's for sure. Uh, the only the confusing thing to me, though, is pointing at WWE because you really can't get that content unless you sign up in one of the pay tiers. So they're clearly getting people doing that. They're just not willing to share that with us like uh, Discovery is, I guess. Right. One of these days, hopefully Comcast and NBCU will actually share something beyond just sign up, something more material, like how <laughs> well, many people can... are actually pay paying or, you know, any other detail. Yeah, we can only hope. And I suppose we have to wait for it to become a substantial part of their revenue, uh, which could take a couple of years, I think. Which could take some time. But speaking of accounting for substantial revenue, um, our first story that we really want to dive into this week is... YouTube's Q1 21 ad revenue of $6 billion, just over $6 billion. Alphabet reported their earnings earlier this week. And Q1 21 was, well, it was a blowout for the entire company. But um, the piece that is most relevant for us and what intrigued me the most was YouTube's continued just incredible performance. So to put that $6 billion number, and that's ads only for YouTube, that doesn't include any of the subscription revenue that they get, whether through YouTube TV or the music service or you know anything else. So this is their global ad number. It was up 49% versus the $4 billion, a little over $4 billion that YouTube generated in Q1 of 20 and almost double what YouTube generated just two years ago in Q1 of 2019. So this business has gotten substantially bigger just in the past couple of years. And YouTube's ad revenue accounted for almost 13.5% of Google's total ad revenue in Q1 of 21. Um, and that was up from about 12% of Google's total ad revenue a year ago in Q1 of 20. So 
YouTube has become a, a pretty big business for Google and for Alphabet. And there were really a couple of themes that the company called out on its earnings call uh, in terms of what is driving YouTube's ad growth. So um, the first piece is what they uh, speak of about their brand advertising. So that's brands basically shifting spending to YouTube in order to get incremental reach beyond linear TV. So this is the argument that um, younger audiences primarily have cut the cord or shifted primarily to streaming. And YouTube is this you know gigantic service that gives huge reach to younger audiences. So that if you have a product that's geared toward younger audiences, YouTube is really the most efficient way to reach them. So that's the brand spending side. But they continue to call out the other side of the business, which is the direct response performance oriented ad business, which is meant for sort of mid funnel and lower funnel type advertisers who want to generate some type of specific performance, whether it's a purchase or a download of an app or getting an email address or, you know, you name it, something that they want to drive out of that. And uh, Philip Schindler, who's Alphabet's SVP and chief business officer, said that the direct response business was practically non-existent just a few years ago. Uh, he actually made that same comment just a quarter ago with, related to Q4 um, and again said that in Q1, the direct response business was truly exceptional and yet he believes is just getting started. So. The direct response business is primarily, as I understand it, the YouTube uh, TrueView for Action format, which basically is just on mobile and desktop. It's not even a TV format. So it's, I think, when you um, look at how the format is, is demoed uh, by YouTube online, they show how you can sort of connect your product catalog, you can um, streamline the process from a viewer seeing the ad to actually taking action and being able to purchase the product right then and there. And of course, with COVID having so many people at home and e-commerce going through the roof, this TrueView for Action format seems like it's been exactly you know, the right place at the right time. And when it's married up with all of the traffic that's going through YouTube, it just sounds like it's been an absolutely perfect fit for them and has gone gangbusters. And, you know, I think the question that arises for me is, again, this, this format is really in mobile and desktop only at this point. How does it migrate to TV over time and make TV more of a TV advertising, more of a performance medium rather than just a branding medium, which is, of course, traditionally what it's always been about. Um, and, and I was intrigued. I, I think we may have talked about this a couple weeks ago, but the analyst Moffat Nathanson recently described this new tier of the funnel that they call the mid to top layer, um, which is primarily YouTube and AVOD services that it believes could become $53 billion per year just in the U.S. by 2020. 2025, with YouTube forecasted to take about two thirds or 35 and a half billion of that spending. Um, and, you know, one of the things that Moffat Nathanson called out as being a driver of this new mid to top layer is e-commerce. And um, again, I, I think when you look at advertisers wanting to be more efficient with their spending, wanting to get a better return on spending, 
being able to connect it to an outcome, a specific outcome like purchase or something else, uh, is really compelling. And YouTube seems to really be laying the groundwork for that with the um, with the True View for Action format. And you know, it's worth mentioning that YouTube is also the biggest player in connected TV. They say they have about 120 million CTV viewers in the U.S. That was as of um, December of 2020. So they're kind of pulling together all the pieces, it seems to me, Colin, to bring this huge success that they've had in direct response into TV now as well. Yeah, it does certainly sound like that, Will. And it, it's it's a bit uh, a bit confusing as to why they haven't already moved this interactive format into the TV environment. I, I will say that there has been um, consumer, I think there's been quite a lot of consumer resistance to doing interactivity in that environment. I mean, we've been trying for decades to launch and, and, and popularize interactive buying on television and only, I think, had limited success and you know, we tried it first on cable systems. <laughs> that's that's how I first got involved in digital yep. TV, was with inter- interactivity, and it really has had limited success. But it sounds like they're having such success that they've solved they've solved a lot of the problems in the mobile domain. I got a feeling that they're probably going to be able to make it work in some fashion on TV. And boy, with that many with that many CTV viewers, it sounds like it's a it's a natural for them to be doing. And so I'm kind of surprised that they haven't moved it into that domain. Now that said, I've got to tell you, my belief at least is that CTV is a very important part of the revenue structure for YouTube, and it's part of the reason why they're seeing a big ramp there. Um, there's no question at all the viewing times on CTV are much much longer than they are on pretty much any other screen and there's actually other indications will that that YouTube does take the TV really seriously I mean they've just gotten into a big fight with our friends at Roku um, over well it's not actually crystal clear what the fight is over they seem to be there seem to be a couple of things that are bubbling around. Janko Roka's a, a protocol. He seems to think that one of the things is AV1 support, but very definitely another one of those things is they're trying to get preferential treatment for YouTube on Roku. They already have that. I was I hadn't even noticed this, but when you do a voice search on Roku, there's a whole row now that is dedicated to stuff on YouTube that matches the search. So I did a search yesterday for, for cowboy movies and I got a row from YouTube of cowboy movies that I could watch. Um, apparently they're looking for more and that's one of the bones of contention there and YouTube, uh, Roku is pushing back on both of these these um, requests, at least according to Jenko Roku's at, uh, protocol. So you know, it's it's not a money thing, but that actually really shows, I think, that YouTube is very, very serious about CTV and looking to increase their footprint there. Uh, I don't know how many of our listeners have an Android TV or the new Chromecast with Google TV. It's a critical YouTube TV is a YouTube, excuse me, is a critical part of that equation. Um, and oh, I should mention. The heart that this dispute with Roku is really being leveraged from YouTube TV, which is looking to 
re-up its, its agreement with Roku um, and the tie that Roku, that, um, excuse me, Google is making is between YouTube and YouTube TV and that's, it's bringing that into the negotiations for YouTube TV. So that's the link there. Um, but, but anyway, it is, I think it's an incredibly important, important part of the equation for Google and uh, boy, um, I, I got a feeling that we're going to see more of these disputes going forward uh, as, as it tries to get YouTube featured more prominently in places like Samsung TVs and, uh, and LG TVs. Yeah, as someone with a Roku TV in practically every room of my house and a uh, devoted YouTube TV user, that's who I have now for my multi-channel TV. Um, I had a little shiver go up my spine when I opened my, went online on Monday morning and saw that there's the Roku notification that there's a chance that YouTube TV may get dropped. So I, I do hope that the, the two of them come to some type of uh, an agreement on it. I have to uh, um, admit it, the, the issues are a little bit murky to me. So I, I appreciate you explaining them. Still not entirely clear. Ultimately, I think it's about money in one way or the other. All <laughs> the different placements that you that you just described, but um, but no question, CTV has become a bigger driver for YouTube's ad growth. That 120 million people who are watching via CTV, and you know, again, that's where I think they make a strong pitch to um, TV advertisers who are having a tougher and tougher time being able to reach younger audiences on TV because they're either going, you know, cord cutting or going streaming only, maybe only using SVOD services. And YouTube is, YouTube on CTV um, may be the best opportunity that some advertisers now have to be able to reach younger audiences while they're watching TV. Um, so that I think has uh, clearly helped YouTube out and you can't argue with results. It's just absolutely phenomenal to me how this company has grown over just the past couple of years when you look at the ad revenues. Yeah, and you mentioned YouTube TV. Um, it's, it's actually been a very important part of YouTube's premium inventory because remember, um, that's one of the things that YouTube, uh, Google did was they added the YouTube TV inventory, which they get in their license agreements with the programmers. They added that to its general pool of premium, premium ad inventory. And it, I think that has done a lot for boosting values and drawing in premium advertisers into into that pool, so that that's that I think is very important. Um, and, and let's be let's be clear, uh, you and all of the other three million YouTube TV users, it, they probably are not very keen on the idea of shifting to another platform. I mean, goodness, uh, the infinite DVR that you have on YouTube YouTube right. TV means that everybody's got already massive libraries of stuff stored in there yep. and you you can't move it if you if you lose access so this is an interesting dispute we'll have to see where it goes but hopefully it will get resolved satisfactorily yep. very quickly yeah and we're one last quick note and then i know we want to shift over to another quick topic colin but the um you know youtube's new front their brandcast new front is early next week and no doubt they're going to have a whole new set of data that they're going to release on users and advertiser success stories and everything else. So very much looking forward to that. Yeah. Yep. Well, the other story that we wanted to take a quick look at was actually I was listening to the Variety's Strictly Business podcast 
and they interviewed, a couple of weeks ago, they interviewed CEO of EW Scripts, Adam Simpson. And it was a really interesting discussion. Um, Scripps has made some very interesting moves in the last few years. One of the things that they did was they divested themselves of their cable channels. Of course, the Home and Garden TV and Cooking Channel and that, that type of stuff, which they showed, showed to Discovery and which uh, Discovery is doing extremely well with on, <laughs> on Discovery+. Plus. Uh, so they divested themselves of that. They got rid of their podcast business. But they, they sort of took a, a retro step and they purchased Ion TV um, and, uh, excuse me, Ion Media, which owns a bunch of over-the-air broadcast channels. They paid uh, $2.65 billion for that in September of 2020. I think Berkshire Hathaway kicked in $600 million on the deal. So uh, they obviously impressed Warren Buffett with that approach. And really what uh, what this Strictly Business podcast was doing was giving him, Mr. Simpson, this an opportunity to really talk about why he did that, why they've sort of re-upped in antenna usage. And he said some things, as I was listening to the podcast, Will, that just made me sit up and think, uh, wait a minute, is that true? Uh, so I actually went back and I looked to sort of fact check just to get a perspective on it. And the first thing he said was that 50 million homes use an antenna to watch TV. And he said it was 40% of US homes uh, and that translates to about 50 million households using antenna. So I reached out to our good friend Bruce, Bruce Leishman who's been on the show and who I hope we have, a, have on again very soon. And what he told me was they did a survey of 6,000 TV homes. He said about 29% had at least one antenna for watching. Uh, and so that actually translates into 24 million, uh, excuse me, 35 million OTA homes in the US. So that's considerably less than the 50 million uh, that Mr. Simmons was, was claiming. But more importantly, it, it he found that about 24 million of those homes were weekly users. So the rest are, are not really regular users. So the most interesting are the 24 million who are weekly users, right? Uh, and um, I should note that Nielsen says that there are about 16.6 million homes that rely on over the air, rely on an antenna for their TV viewing. The other thing he said that really caught my, my ear during this podcast was he several times he described over the air as a, an exploding market. And that really didn't resonate with the numbers that I have been seeing. So I mentioned Nielsen's numbers. Nielsen said that um, OTA, the number of people relying on OTA, crept up 1% last year. And Bruce uh, kind of confirmed that with his numbers. He said it was tw um, the number of um, the number of people with an antenna was 28% in 2019, and increased to 29% in 2020. So again, I, I don't know. Will would you describe that as an exploding market? I don't think <laughs> I would. <laughs> yeah, exploding probably isn't the word that comes to mind, but it is points for positive spin for sure yeah yeah and the last thing he said was he was suggesting that it was a great way for people for advertisers in particular to reach young young cord cutters was what he said 
And again, I don't really think those numbers pan out. Um, Bruce says that 26% of 18 to 34-year-olds have a TV antenna, so that's considerably less than the than the, um, the 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 t- the total that he said for the for the other age groups, um, and you know I, I I don't the numbers that I see like I just saw some Magid data and they said Magid was saying about eleven percent of eighteen to twenty twenty nine year olds thirty four year olds excuse me um, had access to a TV antenna. Uh, you are much better off, I think, if you want to reach that age group, going going digital and and targeting them right. through, particularly through their smartphone. <laughs> I mean, pretty right. much smartphone use is ubiquitous amongst that group. Video on smartphones is ubiquitous amongst that group. So that seemed to be a much better approach. Don't get me wrong, OTA is still an important TV market. And uh, Ion Media may well have been a good investment for uh, scripts going forward, um, but I don't think that the way he was justifying that really gets to what the true value is. I think the true value is in things like um, going when we go to ATSC 3.0, data data right. delivery over that network is, I think, a very, very valuable money-driving service that they can provide. So I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but uh, that's that's I think uh, where we are with OTA. So points well made, Colin, and uh, kudos to you for keeping them honest, right? Well, yes, it's uh, <laughs> uh, you know that's that's one of the great things about when I keep my finger on the pulse of these. When when I hear stuff like that, my ears prick up, and I go back and I check. Right. Well, I think we're just about out of time, Colin. Right. I think we are. But before we leave, we need to thank Verizon Media for sponsoring this episode. They are connecting people to their passions with delivery, streaming, security, and the future of edge computing solutions that help brands reach their goals and future-proof their business. To learn more, go to vzmedia forward slash Verizon Stream 21, and we'll include a link with our podcast postings. All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for rising and thanks, Colin. Good conversation as always. Always a great conversation. And thanks for our listeners to our listeners for listening in this week on Inside the Stream. And we will see you all again next week.